Hey there, welcome to another episode of Close to the Vest. My name is Arthur Ettinger, and this is going to be a fantastic episode because we are talking about parenting coordination with none other than the amazing parenting coordinator, family therapist, Dr. Catherine Smerling. Well, what a build-up, Arthur. I hope that I can live up to that. <laughs> I, you have already uh, lived up to it, so oh, thank you thank so much you. for coming. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So... Um, parenting coordination is uh, a big thing now when we deal with custody and helping facilitate communication between uh, parties and parents. Uh, and before we jump in, because there's a lot to mm-hmm. chop up on that, I'd love to just get into your background and uh, um, how you uh, arrived to where you are today. Well, it's a circuitous path that uh, definitely wasn't a straight one. I started out as a nursery school teacher. As a matter of fact, at the 92nd Street Y, I had the fours, and I was an assistant teacher, and I loved it. I adored it and adored working with younger children. And because I spoke fluently, and I'm saying spoke at that time because I'm nearly not as fluent now, but at that time I spoke fluent Spanish, and I was plucked to be the director of a Head Start Center on the west side. Awesome. At the tender age of about 24, when I knew very little about parenting. And bless the parents at Escaleta Head Start, because they taught me about parenting and taught me about things that, uh, that I needed to know to work in that environment. And I had the educational technological stuff, but I didn't have the hard stuff, and I learned so much from them. And so I was the educational director there for about two years, and then I was asked to be um, a writer and a, um, a teacher for migrant education in the western part of the United States. Wow. Montana, Wyoming, and New Mexico. And I spent a year and a half to two years living in that area of the country, working with migrants. And um, I wrote 25 booklets on parenting, which once again, I reached out to the migrant community to teach me about parenting. And because I was all of 27, 28 years old, and I had not had that precise experience. But once again, I was technologically armed and educationally armed. So I learned so much so much um, and was so respectful of their culture and so respectful of the way that they taught their children that I kind of incorporated a, um, a method of using what they had and what they were giving their children into forming an educational curriculum. And I developed an educational curriculum for the state of New Mexico that called, it was called INSTEP and it was an early childhood curriculum. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful experience. Um, and then I got lonely and wanted to come back to New York, which I did. And then when did you um, jump into psychotherapy? Well, first I finished, I'm not sure. First I, fin- I went back to finish my PhD. Okay. 
and I start, had started a PhD right after my master's, and um, it was kind of a bumpy start, I mean, because I wasn't in New York, and it was at Fordham University, and I took a leave of absence. So I started it again, and then I stopped it, and only to continue it when I actually, when I met my husband now, and I had, um, I was able to have the support to be able to finish my PhD. So I finished my PhD before I became a family therapist. Got it. And the PhD was in early childhood education. And do you think your experience with kids kind of shaped your path to become a family therapist? Yes, of course it did. First of all, because I never looked at children as just children, isolated children. I always looked at children within the context of a family because working with migrants, you travel as a family. So that was all part of my initiation into family systems. And the same thing with working with the Hispanic community. It's very much family. And the influence, the teachers are only as good as they are have understanding of the culture. Sure. So now, I wanna, before we get into the parenting coordination, you have a private practice. Mm-hmm. And so as a family therapist, who are your clients or patients? I have a bunch of different, uh, different. all of them have family issues. Recently, during the COVID and after the COVID, I've had a lot of adolescent girls and their families because of the advent of eating disorders, the advent of, of the college process, the advent of all of the... Um, the trauma that has been sure. in the wake of, of COVID. And I also work with a lot of families who are going through divorce or have finished divorce. Sure. And I help them co-parent. Sometimes it's not co-parenting. Sometimes it's parallel parenting because sometimes people can't parent together. So we have to divide up, divide and conquer and say it's parallel parenting. I'm going to, I'm going to respect what's in your house and you're going to respect what's in my house, and they may not be the same, but we're going to let our children know that both methods are okay, which works. And when you say you're working with people, is it, are you working with one parent? Are you working with both parents? Um, I always work with both parents, you know, I, because I have, to be, um, I have to be unbiased, because neither one is right. A divorce is a complex system that involves a lot of a multiplicity of partners. Sure. And you basically have to take into perspective everyone's point of view. And so, and we're we're starting to erode into the parenting coordinating, uh, you know, discussion. But before I get there, because I, I think it's important for the audience to know that you do see your your patients can just be individual therapy oh for sure oh, and you, for sure and when you talk about the children you can just be seeing the children the, the children or child as their therapist mm-hmm. absolutely i work with all combinations and permutations of a family because if you work with a child or an adolescent it's a family problem sure so now even let, if you're an adult it very often it's a family problem that's very fair <laughs> um so let's talk about what parenting coordination is. A lot of times, you know, uh, as a practitioner, um, you know, it comes up and more often than not, 
Um, unless somebody knows someone who has gone through the process and has used a, a PC, which is what we call them, people are completely unfamiliar and ignorant mm-hmm. to as to what it is. So can you just explain to the audience what is uh, or who is a parenting co- coordinator and when is it typically used? Mm-hmm. A parenting coordinator can either be a family therapist, a therapist, or a lawyer, as you know. And I think even there are quite a number of retired judges that, that are parent coordinators. And it's basically the person that looks at the best interests of the children rather than the best interests of either parent so that the children are raised without the, hopefully, without the conflict that they experienced while the parents were married. So, as I said, sometimes you can't co-parent, you parallel parent. Sometimes you can't agree on where kids go to school or camp, so you divide up the issues. And in even years, the, the mother gets to pick, and odd years, the father gets to pick. You try to work things out. That's really interesting. Yeah. So it, I, I, I think that I'm pretty creative with trying to find solutions. I'm solution-oriented, although my background is certainly, I have enough uh, knowledge of therapy and family therapy and emotional focus therapy and quite a, you know, on and on and on. But I, I do try to be practical. And I feel as though um, people appreciate that. Because during the process of divorce and, and after divorce, it's exhausting. Sure. Um, so I want to get to timing, but before we do that, I want to talk about how you will typically operate. Let's say the parties now have agreed. Mm-hmm. We often see cases where they won't agree. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't agree mm-hmm. that today is Tuesday. I say that all the time. And they're not going to be, in that case, they're not going to be able to agree that we're going to have Smurling be mm-hmm. the PC. Right. And now that they've agreed, mm-hmm. how do you s- typically start? Do you have them come in individually? Do you meet with them together? First, first I meet with them individually because each parent will have a need to tell me their story and their narrative themselves. And it might be very... Um, it restrictive if the other parent is around. So I always meet with them individually, and then I meet with them together. And usually that's, you know, pretty much a disaster because <laughs> no one, I mean, I'm able to figure it out, but um, I can see their, um, I can see the dynamic. And once I can see the dynamic, then I understand how to work with them and how to uh, reach each of them emotionally because everyone wants to be validated and that's the basis of therapy right. in the first po- in the first place is that people need to be validated about their feelings so i want to be able to validate each parent which i do because it's the way that they feel and then i look for the strengths where they can work together and the weaknesses where i know they can't sure and is there and I'm doing this is more this is for the audience Mm -hmm. when do you think is the right time for you to get involved as the PC for example in some cases um, we've been you know we've been battling it out and now we resolve custody 
and we insert name here. Uh, typically, you don't even know until at the very end after we've signed the document that we're going to use a parenting coordinator mm -hmm. for, let's say, tiebreaker issues right. or scheduling issues. Right. And in other times, we are early on in the process, and that maybe there's a lot of bickering or... There's just a lot of stuff that maybe the lawyers would be better served and the parties, more importantly, would be better served if they took a, a backseat role mm -hmm. and let a parenting coordinator like yourself mm -hmm. come in and to try to reach a deal. Well, I think that happens. You know, sometimes it happens naturally and other times it happens as a default because everyone is so stuck. Um, is there a scenario in which you prefer or... Well, I certainly prefer being proactive and rather starting at the beginning of the process because the children at the beginning of the process are so aware and are suffering from the trauma or the shock or sometimes they're happy that their parents are getting divorced because right. there's so much tension in the home. But usually children have a fantasy of always wanting their parents back together again, whether it's a reality or not. Even adult children of divorce you know, kind of harbor that, that kind of, uh, you know, that, that feeling. Sure. Um, so it really helps to start out when they're beginning the process. And then we can work out a temporary, um, you know, a temporary separation access agreement, what works for the children and what doesn't work for the children. I think what has happened during COVID, Arthur, is that it has become very difficult because families have been living together while they're going through divorce. Sure. And that's been rather lethal for, for many people. Let's talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. um, so now, you know, I joke, I say this a lot in jest. Maybe you've heard me say this. Uh, in the context of talking in our cases that we have, um, people are getting married in their backyard and divorced in their living room. Mm -hmm. And they're literally... Well, that's so good, yes. <laughs> and so they're mm -hmm. sitting there in the house and their telehealth appointments, whether it's with someone like yourself as a parenting coordinator or worse, in a forensic process. Mm -hmm. And this is New York City. Mm -hmm. Quarters are tight, even in a mm -hmm. large mm -hmm. apartment. Um and the other person is listening in on the other side of the wall. That is correct. How are you dealing with that unfortunate reality? I am trying to work now with two cases that I have to try to get the courts to issue a, um, a judgment so that they can move separately without it impacting the divorce. No one is abandoning the other person. Because it has become a year of both these families of living together under right. the same roof. And they do, they do listen in on each other. They do. There is absolutely no doubt that they listen in on each other. They try to, and I'm not impugning anyone. I'm not, right. I'm not suggesting judgment. It's just a natural curiosity that one would have. And it becomes increasingly hard for the children because they know that their parents are becoming unmarried, which is sure. kind of the new word that I've been using. But they aren't able to separate so they have weekends that are designated as moms or dads. 
Mother's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day for the father, and holidays that switch off. But it's there's still not enough of a separation. Sure. And the emotional trauma that is being um, that is being suffered by people that are living together are are it's really huge now, and it may be that that women can experience and are traumatized more, but I think the men are just as traumatized. I really do believe that, and I know that from my cases. Sure. Now we'll go. We'll get back to the COVID you know, ramifications and effect uh, in a second. But you raised something, talking about the children. What are your thoughts, and this comes up a lot with clients and litigants, um, when do you tell the kids mm-hmm. that you're getting divorced? You're like, I, that, um, I know that comes up a lot in, in what you do as a parenting coordinator. Of course. And of course. or as a individual therapist Mm -hmm. and so what are your recommendations to people listening in well I think that every family is different and I think that you have to take the developmental stage and age of the children into consideration because what you tell a four-year-old is not what you tell an eight-year-old and what you tell an eight-year-old is not what you tell a 15-year-old so I think that the developmental um you know, stage of each child is very important to assess and understand. And very often, I, I recommend that the mother and father tell the children together and then take the day and spend it with the children. Sure. And so it's not an abrupt kind of separation. Okay, so we're getting unmarried, we're getting a divorce, and now dad's leaving, so we're all okay. And it's not like that. Right. For kids, they have to have time to absorb it and to process the situation. And I recommend that they go through old pictures and they pick pictures up of their family, and because the, the family is always going to stay together, and put a picture in each of the children's rooms mm-hmm. of the whole family, and that you're always going to be a family together. Sure. And just because mom and dad are getting unmarried and mom and dad don't get along doesn't mean anything as far as their love for the children is. Sure. And um, I think that certainly children do as well as their parents. So true. And if children are in a stable situation in which the parents are amicable or they try to be amicable in front of the children, which which does work, uh, the children will suffer less. The children suffer when there is constant bickering and arguing and um, strife because young children that are under the age of seven feel as though they have been responsible for it, sure. for, the, for the divorce, because they believe they're the center of the world, the egocentric view of the world. And an eight-year-old might not believe it, but an eight-year-old will feel guilty. Sure. And so for those out there who just want to understand the process more. Um, Is it your practice as a parenting coordinator um, to meet with the children? Sometimes. You know, uh, you and I have worked on cases where I've met with the children and been integrally involved with the children. And there are other times when people prefer that I not. Um, I'm working with a family now in which I've seen the children with both the mother and the father. 
and how different they act with each parent. Oh, that's so interesting. Which is really interesting. But I, you know, and wonderfully enough, I was impressed with both parents in the way that they parented different. Both of them. So I felt very confident in suggesting a 50-50, you know, access schedule to them because I thought they were both good parents. Sure. Um, So it it all depends on on the case. And Arthur, to be really honest, I think that there is, for me, there is no one set of how I parent coordinate, Mm -hmm. but I have to tailor make what I do to the family that I'm working with. Sure. Sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. Right. So let's talk about that. That's a really (laughs) good point because there are times when parenting coordination just is not appropriate. Fizzles and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. What are the scenarios where it just doesn't work? Well, I can give you one that I experienced today. Um, I had been a parenting coordinator for a um, for a family in which uh, the husband was um, controlling and was financially in a different stratosphere than the ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to um, kind of make deals with this woman. And she wasn't going to make a deal. She didn't want to be bought. Right. And no matter how hard I tried to reframe his deals in a way that would be palatable to her, she didn't accept that. So I worked with her on her emotional intelligence, and I worked with her on what would be best, <coughs> bless you, what would be best for the children, and what is what is what were her priorities in this whole situation, and were her her priorities, her own ego that she didn't want to be kept by by her ex-husband, or did she want to make it easy for the kids to be able to see their father and move back and forth, and what would be best for the kids? So he felt as though I did not do my job. Sure. However, I have been working with the wife, with the ex-wife, and I'm seeing her, and I saw her alone today. And she, we both laughed and, and when she said, yes, so-and-so feels as though you haven't been successful. And we both laughed and I said, but here you are sitting here and everything that we've worked on and to make the children healthier is now working. So now, and that's so. interesting. So now, so now you're seeing her now and you've said, okay. In the capacity of a parent coordinator, not Got in it. the capacity of her personal therapist. Okay, I just want, because no, some no, people no. have to, out there, you and I know this, mm-hmm. but the audience needs to understand, you know, there's, there's a distinction. Absolutely. And, you know, there's value to seeing somebody individually and they just yes. need to understand. And, and really what I'm getting at is, you know, your... Your objective is the child, uh, the children, and so... In this case. Right. And so you may, there may not be protections uh, that an ordinary, like a, a relationship between a patient and therapist. Right. I, I, when I work as a parent coordinator, of course, I'm very aware of the, um, of the psychological dynamics that make, make up a person... But I'm not concentrating on that. I'm concentrating on the relationships. Sure. And uh, the relationships that make 
the system a healthier system. Sure. Um, and I'm, not, I'm not delving into, I mean, I, certainly I ask about family background and everything because right. that's important to do, but then I leave it. Do you ever have occasion to say, I want to speak to your individual therapist? Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's only if it's warranted and sure. only, and people will not let me do that unless they trust me. Right. Because that is giving away their personal secrets, and they may not want to do that. Sure. And I have to respect that. Mm-hmm. Are there? Have you ever had occasion where, let's say, the people agree to work with you, and you have uh, said no? Yes. And what would the reason be, um, if, if you don't mind me asking? And you don't have to share that. That's... No, I, I think it's when there was, you know, everything works with intention, Arthur. Sure. And if you have the intention to do, uh, you know, to get along with your ex-wife or ex-partner, it usually works. If there's no intention and there's just hostility and the person can't see through to any kind of solution to the practicalities of everyday life, you know, it's not worth it. I love that, and I think that's, uh, I commend you. You know, there are a lot of people out there, especially, you know, experts who will say, okay, if the check clears, I'm going to do this, Mm-mm. and, um, you know. It's not worth it for me. I suffer too much. Sure. <laughs> and, and that's not good for anyone, including my family. So, and for those people, again, who are just not as familiar with the process, a parenting coordinator can often be used. Um, we use it very often. Practitioners, especially when we can't get a deal, mm-hmm. you know, when we're fighting over who's going to make the major decisions, sometimes we'll punt it. Um, and the compromise is we're going to uh, implement parenting coordinator who will not only help on scheduling issues, but making a decision if there's a medical issue or mm-hmm. an educational mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. So now you are that person. And often your involvement will be confidential, mm-hmm. where it's not used for any other purpose but to help facilitate a resolution. Mm-hmm. And in other circumstances, it is that your recommendation, whether it's a schedule dispute Mm-hmm. or a decision dispute becomes a recommendation that can be used uh, and brought into court. Yes. Okay. There are some people doing what you do that say, mm-hmm. if that's the case, I don't want to be involved. I'm not looking to testify. I don't. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about that? And to the extent you can share. That's, that's pretty tough um, because I pride myself in having a multiplicity of perspectives and I could probably you know say as many good or bad things about one person good right. or bad things about the other so I I pride myself on being very fair and very honest and if I feel as though it would be a benefit to the children if I voice my opinion I do that Uh, You know, as recently as last month, I wrote a letter to the judge because I felt as though the judge had to hear Mm -hmm. what was going on. And not that I was denigrating the people, but just had to understand that these were the difficulties 
that were going on and maybe he could do something to make a little bit more structure for the family. Sure. In a legal way. But I, um, I'm not a litigator. I'm not a good lawyer. I'm a terrible lawyer. And um, I like to kind of stay in my lane of what I can do best. Amen. That's great. Um, and there's a there's a lot here and um there in order to keep people engaged mm -hmm. you know are there certain things that you can uh that you think work better than other you know and often people become uh their their own worst enemy mm -hmm. and uh, i have seen that even in the parenting coordination process are there are there any tips or um, or pointers that you can give an individual going through it uh, that maybe can help them be uh, a better person in the process? I think sometimes you have to leave your ego behind, and I always recommend that my when I work with a family that they have their own individual therapists because they ha uh, one has to do. A lot of reflection to understand what went on in a marriage so you don't keep on repeating the same mistakes. Sure. So um, I want, I like to make sure that the people I work with are taken care of individually. And then so when I can take care of them as a system, it works with people that are awoke and aware. Sure. So that's one thing that I, one thing that I recommend. And also I, Try to validate really how people feel, even if it's not what I believe they should feel, but to validate how people feel. And once they're heard, they will be able to listen to an opposing point of view. Sure. So I always try to diffuse the anger by listening and, and hearing the rants and the raves and everything that often, you know, just becomes, I could probably repeat some of them myself. Right. Because they're very often very repetitive and people tend to say the same thing when they're very angry. And, um, but I always try to validate. Validate, validation is very important. And everyone wants praise for being a certain, doing something well with their children. Right. So I always look for ways to, praise people that and encourage them to be better parents do you have any wisdom for individuals <laughs> who are about to or in they're debating whether they think a pc is right for their case mm -hmm. uh, do you have any wisdom to share um as they you know struggle with the decision i, I you know divorcing is such a um a difficult emotional process i i don't care if you're the one who wanted the divorce or you didn't want the divorce it's still a very emotionally traumatic experience no matter what mm -hmm. and when you are going through a divorce you need to put together a team a support team of people that can help you the pc is one of that support team one of those people that will take away the 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 conflict that you have with your ex-partner because if you could get along with your ex-partner, you'd probably still be married to that person. Right. 
So this is like, not like a referee, but a, um, a psychologically attuned referee mm. who can um, help in solving problems. Sure. It is not a therapy session, but it is, um, I think, solution-oriented. And it, fa- it can fast-track the divorce. Um, that's a good, yeah. I and also, I was thinking of this as we're talking, uh, you know, because you and I always bounce, each, bounce things right. off each other, is that it also frees the lawyers to do what the lawyers do best. Sure. And takes away the, um, you know, the, the need to understand what the family dynamics are but concentrate on doing what they do best. Sure. And listen, I, you know, there are certain scenarios where the PC, you as the PC, do not communicate with lawyers. And then there are scenarios where the lawyers do communicate right. with you. Uh, typically, it's uh, the a situation where the two lawyers, they know you, we've picked you, we've worked right. with you in the past. Um, I don't always see eye to eye on what you say. For sure, I've, you don't. <laughs> I, sometimes I've known to raise my voice at you, but um, that's, that's just okay. <laughs> I'm doing my job and you're doing your job, mm-hmm. and I respect you for that. Um, and ultimately, your job is for your children. I mean, uh, as the cl- the client right. being the children. Oh yeah, and my job is for the family, right? To make sure that at the end of this whole process, there still is a family. Sure. So I want to pivot a little bit. Okay. okay. Um, a lot of guests come on and they share their personal stories and mm-hmm. um, and how those personal experiences have made them who they are in their profession, especially um, as a family therapist. Um, and I know, uh, just knowing you as long as I do, that you have you are happily married and you're in a blended family. Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. Um, can you share how, you know, how that, how your marriage and your experience and your blended family mm-hmm. impacts what you do for other families and, uh, more importantly, divorcing families? Well, I have been married and divorced before, so I know how painful that can be. And uh, when I married... My husband, we've been married for 31 years. I made a pact to myself that I wasn't going to get another divorce. Right. I just, I said, I'm going to make this work. And so I had to learn to make it work. It's, it's not that I was born with the genes, I'm going to make this marriage work, because it does require a lot of work and a lot of thoughtfulness and a lot of reflection, a lot of change of behavior, a lot of overlooking things. And prioritizing, is it really important um, that my husband doesn't like to walk and have a picnic in the park? Right. I mean, yes or no, you know. And what are the more important things and the things that keep a family together? And my husband and I have one child together who's like a grown man. He's 26 and in graduate school. And I have two stepchildren that are close in my close in age to me and um, I'm older than they but I'm not that much older than they are 
And um, we have been able to forge a really nice friendship, and it hasn't always been easy. And believe me, I think the one thing that made that work is that my husband always had my back. Love it. He always had my back when it came to his children. There were times at the beginning of the relationship where the kids didn't respect me, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it just it just took a while. And he always, always had my back, and he's always been incredibly supportive. And you know, we've had rough times and good times, and but basically, um, we're a family with all its warts and and you know. Not so pretty stuff, but a lot of very pretty stuff. And yeah, but that makes that you know that makes you real, and that makes you a human being, and that mm-hmm. makes you uh, good at what you do. Well, I think it's really important to support each other. I don't think I've ever been supported, you know, as as my husband has supported me. You know, through my PhD, through my post postgraduate work, he was always very proud of what I did, and um, you know, was proud of the fact that I kept on learning and and doing and you know, working and I mean, and who who I've become today. So he's never torn me down like that. That's he fantastic. Has never, I have never felt as though. Um, he was talking behind my back. So I asked you what wisdom you would impart for people in the divorce process. So now for somebody listening and who may be on the fence and who would really like to focus their energy on keeping their relationship, marriage or otherwise, mm-hmm. going, what wisdom do you have for them? Be kind. When in doubt, be kind. That's simple. And or not so simple. Yeah, it's simple, but not so simple. And I think when there's a choice to do something that is really spiteful or that is kind, choose the kindness because that's always going to come back to you. Sure. And it will always pay you back in a way that being cruel will not. And I think that what we all have to do is take a step back, take a breath, don't react, and then say what you have to have, what, mm-hmm. say what you have to, what you have to say, and put it in a way that someone else will understand you. Sure. Um, so I know. And don't assume that they do. That's key. Yeah, that's really a key. Um, we've seen some pretty nasty yeah. situations in COVID. Um, we, you and I have been involved in some pretty nasty ones. Mm-hmm. How do you see, do you see that um, now that we're 15 months in, do you see that there being a change or, you know, uh, tensions were very high. Do you see that it's subsiding now and people are no, not being yet. nicer. And no, I think in many ways um, people are more reflective. 
but not the people that are still living with each other while they're going through a divorce. They may be individually reflective, but the tension and the the trauma of having to live in close quarters with someone that you are divorcing sure. is really lethal. And I, as I said, I'm not a lawyer, but somehow that has to be changed so that people can actually live separately mm-hmm. and it not have impact on on the divorce proceedings if they can afford to do that because that has been um, a real unnecessary additional trauma to a divorce that doesn't really need to need to happen right um, I feel as though individuals have become more reflective I think the tension is still there and I think it will start to dissipate as, well, New York is opening, as we're able to re-enter and socialize with, um, with more confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen the drastic change yet. I think people are still in, in between that COVID mentality right. and, and anxiety. And I know, so, you know, we recently learned about uh, the Gates family, and I know you've spoken about gray divorce. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of stories coming out about the spike in gray divorce. Do you have uh, an opinion as to why we're seeing that? Yes, definitely. I I think that, uh, you know, people are more fluid and they are not in their gender role specifically as they were maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they've done their job, they've raised their family, and they want to live a new life. You know, 55 is not 90. Sure. And 55, you have 40 years, 45 years left of your life. Maybe you don't want to spend it with the person that you spent the previous 30 years with or the previous 25 years. And there's a lot more fluidity in um, ages are not so fixed as they used to be. Sure. You know, I'm not sure that 60 is the new 40, but, uh, you know, they're not not so fixed. People aren't retiring as, as early as they used to. They're not, even if they retire, they're doing things. They're doing something. They aren't remaining idle. Sure. And, um, so I think society has changed. And I think it's given, given permission to people to um, make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and certainly the Gateses have no financial restraints. Nope. And they can do whatever they want to do and from what i have read now is that uh melinda gates has wanted to do this for a long time right and been under the thumb of her husband so good for her yeah um um just going back to the pc people are always asking me when you have experts see if they can share stories they love the stories and so, and to the extent you can share, if you have, if you can think of two stories, uh, maybe one that's the craziest or uh, the horror story, um, 
and then maybe your greatest accomplishment where maybe you thought, oh my God, there was never, I never thought that I was going to be able to make any progress here and lo and behold. Um, I don't know if you have any to share. I don't want to. I do, I, do, I do. I'd rather not share the horror stories because that's fair. Um, I don't think that that, you know, that's kind of worth it. You know uh, what I, I love about your answer on that? And I'm sorry to cut you off. That's okay. But so I had another therapist on, mm-hmm. okay? And I asked the same exact question. Mm-hmm. And you know what's really funny? She said the same exact thing. She's she like, I'm not going to, I don't want to talk about, let's talk about the positive stories. Okay, so. good. I, I think that I have a, a lot of positive stories. And um, I don't think positive stories are necessarily these giant things. That's fair. They could be little by little um, gains towards collaboration and cooperation. We've worked on cases in, in which we've seen this. Yep. And um, I consider that a success. Mm-hmm. And I consider it a success when um, children are able to express themselves to their parents. Sure. And when they don't feel constrained by having to please one, fa- one parent or another parent. And I always tell families that if you denigrate your partner, you're denigrating half of your child. Right. And that child will be in a position where he will hate that part of him. Such a great way of looking at it. So I'd rather, you know, emphasize that this is a process which can be successful and is successful. And sure. you will need a team. And... Um, with within your own means, put together a team that is going to enable you to get through this with the least amount of scars, because and repercussions, because the, otherwise the trauma is going to be there for you and your children for the rest of your life. Sure. Ah, one more thing. Yes. <laughs> is that I always use the the term repeat or repair. Can you elaborate? Yes. Please look to see what has gone wrong in your previous marriage before you jump into the ring again. So good. So that you don't keep on repeating the same mistakes because we all have a tendency to do that. We're like rats competing in the same cycle all over again. So be aware of the changes that you have to make to make a relationship successful. So good. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. Thank you. So if somebody listening wants to get in touch, they're looking for a PC, or they need a family therapist, mm-hmm. how can they reach you? Uh, Dr. Catherine Smirling. Okay. At 212-794-6057. Perfect. And do you have, like, a, do you have a website? I do. What? It's Dr. Smirling at Dr. Smirling at drksmirling.com. Perfect. Or if you just type in my name, Catherine Smirling, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, Smirling, S-M-E-R-L-I-N-G, you know, you'll come up. You'll come up with it. And my office is on the Upper East Side, right on 86th Street. So it, it is easy to get to. And I am seeing people in, in person now, which is really so much more productive than seeing people on Zoom constantly. So, and if they, if for some reason, whether oh, they're not Zoom. comfortable or they... Yeah, I do Zoom all the okay, time. Okay, yeah. perfect. So, uh, last, before we wrap up... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm into sneakers, and so I ask <laughs> I ask all my guests what their favorite sneaker is. 
Oh, my goodness. Okay, I just bought a new pair of Reeboks, which I really okay. love. Cool. Because they're, I can really walk really well in them. Sure. But, of course, I love my fashion sneakers. Got it. What's your fashion uh, sneaker? I mean, the which the Golden Goose. I, uh-huh. love, I love them, and I love things that look like Golden Goose. And today, a matter of fact, I was wearing the Adidas with the red... With the red stripe? Sure. Adidas Superstar? Yeah, the Adidas nice. Superstar. I was wearing that. Very cool. And I have lots of pairs of sneakers also. I love it. <laughs> and I don't ever want to go back to actually wearing shoes all the time because I love sneakers so much. Well, now I finally have the opportunity to like go on a court appearance and wear like sneakers. So yeah. we'll have to do this again. And next okay. time you come, you'll wear some sneakers. Of course. Awesome. I just, I changed them before I came here. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you.